0: Place up your shoes and get ready for a dance number. This is your musical theater, V'ger, please. A hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm a
1: visitor who wishes he was drunk and disoriented.
0: Peter. Wishes. Your dreams can become reality, sir. <sighs> I,
1: <laughs> I hated this fucking episode so bad, Joe. I, just, I, can't, <laughs> I can't contain it.
0: Oh wow. We're not even a minute in and you uh let I me know how
1: you feel. Have not hated something I have watched this much in God it might be concerning flight if not this is an all-time worst for me I think.
0: Wow, this one? Yeah. I thought for sure that the B plot was going to be something that saved it for you. But before we go any further, you know what? This sounds like one we got to dive right in. What did we watch this week?
1: Season five, episode 22 or 21, if you're Netflix, someone to watch over me. This thing was a chore. I I think the last time I rolled my eyes and played on my phone this much instead of watching the episode might have been a logium. Uh, Elogium, by the way, special shout-out is so bad, I listened to the Delta Flyer episode for it, and I couldn't even make it through that. <laughs> Everything that Elogium <laughs> touches is just fucking terrible, and this one was it was a waste of time. It was a bottle episode. I feel like it stole my life. It was it literally it was that episode where Harry can where Neelix teaches seven of nine how to eat and the shuttle bay flies in, you know, the shuttle flies in the shuttle bay. And like, as cringy and awful as that was, turn that into an entire goddamn episode. And that's what we've got here.
0: I completely agree that the A plot of this is. Pretty bad, Um I hate it less than you because I have fondness for the movie that it directly rips off uh, beat for beat. That being my fair lady. Uh, I am a huge fan of uh, musical theater, uh, which, you know, it is originally a, um, a Broadway play. It's kind of where Julie Andrews got her start. And then it wound up a movie uh, later on. It's considered quote unquote, the, Uh, perfect musical Um, the film version was famous for having Audrey Hepburn Um, I just love musical theater growing up so I was like oh wait this is this is just my fair lady except as a Voyager episode Um, weird uh, but okay and I have the same problem you do in which is that seven of nine from episode to episode is portrayed as either already having all of her social skills or having none. And it's just wildly inconsistent and irresponsible of, of the writers as storytellers to not have actually figured this out by now. Here we are nearly two full seasons in to her character being on the show. Um, But I didn't, I did not hate it Um, mostly because the B plot is just funny. I, the, the B plot with Neelix and the, uh, the ambassador is is solid gold. I I I, I I'm a little surprised you hate it that I hate it this much. Given. The
1: ambassador who is a dead ringer for Daniel Tosh.
0: <laughs> wow, that's a name I haven't thought of like since 2012. Do yourself Jesus. a favor.
1: Pull uh pull up a picture of Tosh. Pull up the picture of what the fuck's this guy's name? Uh, ambassador Toman. Yeah, Benson a.k.a. more space Amish, Ambassador Toman, uh, felt to me like a pretty big retread of the TNG episode liaisons the entire time through, which is what I was expecting it to be, that that the Ambassador's observation and uh, severe moral corruption was, in fact, a secret test of the Voyager crew. And instead, uh, Space Amish Toman was really just a alcoholic,
0: lush piece yeah, of it shit. A, it was, it was comic relief. <laughs> it was, I have, it didn't have to be deep. It was funny. The guy that, the guy they got for that role, man, he was good at good at being drunk on camera. <laughs> it was, it was miserable, Joe. I, I think <laughs> you're the one who's gone native on this. What uh, oh, I mean, like. I'm not going to say this is high art at all. I'm not defending this as, like, a great episode of Star Trek. But, man, are you are you serious right now? Like, you found no enjoyment in any of this? We'll see when I go through my notes. There might have been
1: one thing that was not terrible. But uh, don't hold your breath. I'm going to have to look. What was the last episode we just did? Was uh, the last one we did... I'm looking through my notes here and I see I wrote out the alphabet because I had more fun with my daughter telling me what letter was what than watching what was on the screen. Last episode was Juggernaut. uh, And that was the one over on the Maylorn vessel. And what comes after this? After this is going to be 1159 for a budget friendly episode like this was. Right. You've only got one or two guest stars who aren't really prominently featured that much. Everything shot on existing Voyager sets. I'm guessing somewhere we're like sucking in so we can cinch the belt up to really let loose with some big special effects. And I don't know if that was before us or if it's going to be coming up, but it's clear that this was a budget friendly episode. And this is coming to us from uh, Michael Taylor's story by Bran Braga. And directed by none other than uh, Robbie Dunks, Mr. McNeil, Tom Paris, in his third round directing a Voyager episode, right? Correct. Yeah, he had two in season three, and he's got one after this, I believe. I want to go ahead and take a moment before we really get into the meat and potatoes on this one and point out the huge gaffe I made on the last episode we watched juggernaut, and that was... We, oh, we have an official V'ger, please, correction? That My goodness. I somehow, you know, I, I brought it up on the Trauma Support Group, but that we did not mention that the completely baffling end of that episode was right on the the money for your average Kenneth Bewilder experience.
0: <laughs> we, were, we were saying it without saying the word, right? We were <laughs> flabbergasted, we were agape... We were just just combobulated, discombobulated. We just forgot bewildered as the word to Hood-winked, describe it. Bamboozled. I don't. We, we were there spiritually. We just yeah. didn't quite voice it because we were just it was just bewildered us so much that it blanked our short term memory. And we forgot who was responsible. Memory rifted. Yes, we here's, were
1: memory rifted. Here's the interesting part about someone to watch over me is that for being a season five entry for being specifically written by Bran braga this is a this is probably the most lighthearted and non-depressing like you've said it multiple times now season five is everybody goes in the barrel everybody has their bad time everybody is is getting victimized by demons of their past or shadows uh, lurking around the corner and this one there's really none of that like The doctor kind of gets his heart twisted a little bit at the end, but that's that's really it. So this is almost feels like one of those situations from season two where it was actually, you know, a episode that was recorded uh, the year before.
0: So the 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 teaser starts with Tom and Bellana having what appears to be a candlelight dinner in the mess hall. (laughs) You know, which is probably with all the lights th- on. Yeah. With one. What's basically one step above doing it at a White Castle for Valentine's <laughs> Day? You know, like, I don't know. It, hey, to our international listeners, uh, I'm going to explain this real quick. There's a fast food restaurant in the Midwest uh, to East Coast, Ohio. Uh, you know, it's here in Ohio and in other places uh, called White Castle, which is known for selling the cheapest uh most ridiculous smelling bad for you tiny hamburgers you've ever seen. The onions make you shit your brains out. Yeah. It's drunk. It's drunk food. Drunk food little little hamburgers. Uh but on Valentine's Day, you can go to any White Castle and have a candlelit dinner for two um with your beloved. Uh as they try and classify class up the place one night only while still serving the food. Same food of course.
1: That's a tongue-in-cheek, ha-ha, we're all in on the joke. You go to, like, TJ's. I don't know if they got TJ's in Cincinnati. But any of these, like, greasy spoons like Denny's. And Tom and Balana having this date, this fancy date in the mess hall with the regular fluorescent lights on and, like, people next to you working on pads is is like eating your anniversary dinner at a Denny's. Or an IHOP. I mean... <laughs> a waffle but with house. It's a waffle house. That's that's what it is. It's it's a waffle yeah. house. Yeah. With Neelix waiting on you hand and foot
0: uh feeding you cheese.
1: Which was I mean, a big deal. Yeah. How are I you going to Stevie let...
0: Stevie immediately was like, "What the fuck did she he poison the ship again?" <laughs> like, that's dangerous territory. <laughs> it's taken him
1: four seasons to regain the confidence of the crew where they once again let him ferment cheese there's a pretty good background conversation that's happening here between Tom and B'lana, uh, where Tom is teaching Harry Kim how to drive and that's skills that Harry doesn't have. And uh, it was, it was one of those interesting things like how long into human evolution, assuming we don't like end up fallout or Mad Max where we run out of gas and all the technology's dead. But like, what point of human evolution, and realistically, with Tesla up and coming, does driving start to go the way of cursive? And I don't know, you know, going back to your your global statements about the world, and I know we've got a lot of overseas listeners. I'm stunned that the U.S. is graduating uh, high school classes where these kids only know how to sign their name in cursive and can't. Write and can't read cursive, which I would have never thought would be something I said. And yeah, sure, man. In this future of Star Trek,
0: like driving another skill that just doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all that kids don't learn that anymore because why would they have to? And then there's essentially zero reason. I mean, what are you going to do? Write a check? I mean, like, I do that. Uh, because I fear change, not because this is scary. <laughs> so um, it, it, it's it was a neat conversation about like pet, future people learning to do things that are anach- anachronistic to, to them while Neelix like shows them the cheesy made because the space homage are coming, but they're not allowed to eat anything spicy or or do anything that um, uh, would be even remotely exciting, of course. While this is happening, Bolana notices Seven of Nine, who seems to be kind of, you know, working on a pad, walking around him, and she insists that she's been watching them. And eventually, she's just like, "Yeah, fuck it. I am a Klingon. I'm just gonna go over there and ask her why she's watching us." And she admits to it. Immediately, cops to, "Yes, I have been observing you." And that's when Bolana picks up a pad. And starts reading her notes about, you know, like uh, overly scientific explanations of stereotypical couple things like they have an argument. Tom brings flowers. They make up um, the the greatest part of the episode might be the joke that is that is here. the, the Perhaps the best Star Trek burn I've ever heard is one of the notes is uh, 0300 Uh, intimate relations resume and then she she puts the pad down goes how do you know when we're having intimate relations and then seven of nine says there's no one in on deck nine section 12 who doesn't know when you're having intimate relations (laughs) that is solid humor i laughed out loud that was good and it's decent continuity the there's
1: one of the early episodes season one or season two where Harry's busted out his uh, clarinet and there's some mention that the acoustics are better on that part of the ship, but everybody can uh, hear because there's not enough insulation in the walls to block sounds, which really seems like some very heavy corner cutting for Starfleet in uh, these ships in their post-scarcity society. There's going to be a piece of throwaway dialogue later on once neelix has the ambassador on where he says uh oh it's an intrepid class with uh what do you say the crew complement is up at that point 146 146 built for deep space exploration it's like oh we're we gonna try and retcon this once again
0: <laughs> yeah before it was wasn't built for for uh long missions and now it totally is meant for that was, yeah, no, was it a warship you know, flip a coin
1: and Voyager can be believed to have originated for any number of tasks. Uh, Belana is nuts. She comes off as a real crazy bitch.
0: I don't know. Like, I would be kind of creeped out if someone was taking notes whenever I was banging it out with my boyfriend. I mean, uh... I guess Belana a screamer confirmed. But I guess that's not really a shocker. Maybe
1: she's not the
0: screamer, Joe. That's. That's, That's awfully true. presumptuous I, of you. I am. I am making an assumption. Although, I mean, let's be let's be honest. That assumption is probably correct. I mean, you know,
1: come on. She instantly goes to like, I'm going to break your nose. I'm going to fuck you up. I'm going to fight you. Like some real not senior bridge crew stuff. Like I get that they've
0: often had conflicts here, but especially since the last episode that we just watched was. About Bolana's anger issues and the very next scene, in the very next episode, is Balana threatening to violence someone? I yep. Mean, no lessons uh, you know learned
1: there. No character growth has occurred. I guess her being a super bee does track based on the last episode where she was completely out of line, like 102% of the episode. But uh, this really seems heavy-handed and it's it's starting to make me sad because for a while there B'Elanna was starting to shape up as one of my favorite characters like when they started really playing up her her geek girl side who's who's dealing with some shit and I feel like they've painted her back in this two-dimensional RAR Klingon smash uh portrayal that she had suffered through through a lot of season one and season two uh, and also, too, for for Lucy Goosey, swingy, sexy future time where it's not exactly against the rules to create your co-workers in the holodeck and then fuck them. And and goodness knows <laughs> what else is going on. Like the Borg is observing you. And I mean, I get that she's a little sore, maybe that she got called out for being a screamer, but. Man, this is this is just the beginning of the bad for me in this episode. So uh, Balana instead of fighting Seven of Nine and probably getting her ass kicked, you know, of all the things to be mad about Seven of Nine, you're going to pick the fact that she's
0: observing you
1: and your boyfriend having
0: a nice yeah. date. How many you're times not gonna be- has she personally shot you in engineering? Like, and also assault, or assaulted you in other ways. She's bit your cheek while, you know, initiating a mating ritual. I mean, this is you've had some pro- workplace violence problems with this lady. This is probably the least of her offenses.
1: You know, I, I have to take back some of the things. Maybe threatening to kick this lady's ass isn't really out of place. But she'd be like, you know, it's bad enough. She shot me, bit me and I don't know, probably threw an ensign into her at some point. But now she's creeping on my dating life, too. But instead of fighting, she files a report with the captain, and we get treated to our second round of dress uniforms. If you are going to make uniforms on Star Trek, you are going to get your mileage out of it. And uh, again, I got to say, these dress uniforms we get at Chicote, we get Janeway, Tuvox rolling around in his. They look great. They look better they than do. the Voyager uniforms.
0: Up, considering they've been in use at this point since the, you know, Early nineties. What you I see, mean, Joe, 80s. they only
1: bring him out for the special occasions and that would keep him looking crisp.
0: That's true. That is true. It's it's in this scene, it's Tuvok and uh, Janeway who are going down to uh transport themselves to the uh the space Amish community and therefore not be in most of this episode. But but before Janeway goes down of course we have the perfunctory hey seven of nine why the fuck are you doing this thing and then she can explain why she's doing the thing and then Janeway can be like, yeah well maybe you should you know date or bang it out or something I don't know lady get get wild. good luck This is
1: Janeway looking good again. This is a lot of makeup Janeway this is hair looking fabulous this is that think tank unexplainably much noticeably more pretty Janeway. And this continues the trend that we've been seeing in season five, where a lot of the female cast that had not traditionally been portrayed as uh, aggressively attractive uh, were starting to go back on that. And Balana was all greased up and tank topped out in uh, Juggernaut. And even Janeway, you know, the, like I said, this is this is repeated now that they're looking uncharacteristically good, and I don't know if this is part of sweeps
0: or just a new doctrine in the executive. I think office. It's much. I think it's just much more subtle in Janeway's case, though. It's just like you know, they freshened up her her look a little bit, and I grant you, yeah, she's looking better. You know, Kate Mulgrew is is looking very sharp, but it's not at all like what they do with everyone else it's just like for the last like in juggernaut with balana it was just done so gratuitously Gratuitous. <laughs> on
1: purpose
0: it, where this is done in a, just a you know hey let's try something a little different here just to to freshen the look up and it it's it worked really well janeway is the right way to do it and
1: seven because yeah, it B'Elanna. wasn't their
0: intention to be you gratuitous with her, which is why right. it's the right way to do it. Right.
1: now. Uh, my joke that I enjoyed this episode is when Janeway calls out seven and she's like, well, you know, if you're not really that interested in dating, uh, why do you have over 30,000 giga quads of what I'm assuming is actually porn? <laughs> she downloaded all of the xvideos.com and all of the X hamster and all of the <laughs> u porn and e fucked and yeah, um, I mean she's got four hundred years of
0: digital pornography.
1: <laughs> the, I mean and that's, that's on top of whatever the Borg have too, and I'm sure the yeah. Borg have seen some shit.
0: Oh yeah, they assimilated all that, and now you can't you can't forget it. You can't forget the species after species, uh, quantity of sheer. You know, avalanche of hardcore pornography that is in the Borg Collective. I wonder with the Borg, because every voice is heard,
1: right? But then the more voices get added, the less each voice uh, is contributing. But if you have massive voting blocks, right? Like say you assimilate a huge species that really prefers the color red, would it be possible to start swaying the Borg where they start painting cubes red, right?
0: If you have... Like switching out the green lights for red lights?
1: Sure, right? Like, if you have enough shared morality, does it start to influence the Borg's behavior? Like, once upon a time, maybe the Borg didn't come in announcing their intentions to assimilate and improve everybody's life, and maybe there was enough morally just species that they assimilated that that became like hey we need to let people know what we're about and it enacted a change within the collective right and maybe you know playing into the joke like how many species that are like really into tentacle porn do they have to assimilate before they start having like extra tubes extra assimilation nanotubes for for other purposes but you know the the more interesting question there is how, how does change god i don't even want to talk about the Borg. like i feel like picard ruined that too
0: <laughs> yeah it about with other things picard ruined like it is very weird to watch an episode devoted to uh seven of nine doing very heteronormative dating things when they've i've t- decided canonically she's i guess she's gay now um this the whole episode's almost quaint well they also that said regard. that she
1: can't drink synthahol but she's over there knocking out jack and cokes or what i just
0: i oh yeah she's a hardcore uh drinker now you know the her her borgness doesn't make her an easy drunk anymore it hurts joe it hurts uh <laughs> but
1: anyways yeah thirty thousand 000 giga quads of porn and and seven's like oh damn you got me janeway i guess i'm going to have to take up dating lessons so she goes to the doctor and we begin this tired ass routine of the doctor is going to take her through lessons, but she's too cool for school. But every time he tries to bring her into a practical application, she like nose dives. Uh, I'm so, surprised that Tom was not a part of the away team mission down to the space Amish to get
0: him off screen since he's directing, but he gets pretty decent screen time in this. He does. So I, I want to break this up distinctly into the A plot and B plot. And let's talk about the A plot first. As I mentioned, it is a straight up, ripoff of my fair lady uh the eliza doolittle is seven the henry higgins is the doctor the pickering is tom paris and from there it's straight up like here are some etiquette lessons here let's practice your elocution and let's do a musical number and slowly the professor falls for the student and the student begins to impress and internalize the the lessons and eventually the big payoff for the bet that uh you know Pickering and Higgins make uh she finds out about it and she gets mad about it and she she leaves him like beat for beat for beat for beat for beat. It is the exact thing, which is a little jarring <laughs> like I was uh, it was it's it was shocking when I first watched it of like, they really didn't try to hide that this is what they were ripping off. They they did every piece of this. Um, I have a hard time caring about I... your
1: musical. So can we go with uh, with something that might be a little bit more uh, applicable to science fiction, which is "She's All That," the 1999 romance comedy <laughs> featuring Freddie Prince Jr. Well, AKA She's always it
0: was 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 made to be a modern version of My Fair Lady, dude. That's yeah that's literally the DNA of that movie.
1: But Freddie Prince Jr. was in Mass Effect Three. And and I care about Mass Effect Three, so I'm gonna go I actually think Freddy
0: Prince Jr. takes a lot of bio bioware voice acting checks. That's that's where that's where most of his money has come for the last decade. Well, he's also in Star Wars Rebel. I mean, this dude's got a lot of star properties in his uh, in his things. Well, Freddie Prince Jr. realized he wasn't going to be pretty forever and he needed to, he needed to get, uh, you know, his him and his fading hairline needed to get off camera and into voice acting. I appreciate
1: it. I'm, I'm down. I think no, no, uh, I She's it. All this That actually came out while I was still working at the movie
0: theater, which is why I'm a little bit more familiar with that. But Oh, uh, I mean, everyone our age saw this. Uh, uh, She's All That. Uh, was it Rachel Lee Cook was the girl in that, right?
1: With like the overly circular head? Yeah, yes. Rachel Lee Cook. Yep. And then, of course, you know, everybody's favorite Scooby, Matthew Willard, and uh, wow Paul Walker was in that? Oh, yeah. I thought Paul Walker was only in uh, Fast and Furious. I think that was... Like an Ecosystem, he was not. Kevin Pollock's in it? Paul Walker was Usher's in there? Lil' Kim's in there? (laughs) (laughs) Can we just talk about she's all that instead of fucking someone to watch over me?
0: I will say that Rachel Lee Cook was on a TNT show where she was playing a police captain or something. And she hasn't aged enough to make me believe that, even though her age is technically correct. You know, because it's been 20 years since that fucking movie came out. Right. Yeah. And and so, you know, you, you you're like, oh, OK, like you are now the age to be a person of authority, except you still just look like the 16 year old, you know, from... <laughs> she's all that coming down the, the steps to uh that. uh What was that fucking song in the 90s? that was in every fucking soundtrack. There she, uh... No. Yeah, 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 yeah. It. Yeah. Fuck. Someone, oh, God, you know what? We've got people on the Trump support group who will bail us out on this one. The best rendition of this
1: uh, formula, though, is going to fall into uh, Not Another Teen Movie, which is one of my all-time favorites, which really combines all those tropes together the best. We got Chris Evans pre-dick pick uh, back in his early <laughs> years. Well,
0: I mean, almost everything is pre-dick pic. Chris Evans now. <laughs>
1: That's how uh, that's the new before Christ and Amino Domini. Um, there is an infuriating part of this episode, Joe, that and it's again, it's 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 the writers being cute, them tossing and things like, oh, we cured the Vidian fish. <laughs> wow, that's huge. But how, oh, the by fu- the way,
0: I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh. Stevie wanted to inform me that the song that we were referencing was Kiss Me by Sixpence None the Richer. She <laughs> she remembered it. From memory. It was from memory. She must have been a young girl in the 90s, man. Yeah, that. Well, yes, she was. Anyway, sorry uh, to interrupt. Continue.
1: <laughs> how the fuck does the doctor have pictures of species 8472 humping?
0: Well, I, I, also, that information was clearly incorrect because we know that their sexuality rotates entirely around Chicote. I mean, about rightfully the design. so. I rightfully mean, so. They, they are entirely Chicote sexual. You know, the different aspects of their chakot of the chakotay are what are what they kind of circulate. So, I mean, they and they already know that, like you know, they've got firsthand information.
1: Yeah, but I mean, this is a stupid trash episode, I get, but it, again, just these throwaway little zingers that the writers have been sprinkling in lately. Uh, the The picture of the two aliens hooking up, the fact that there's. I take that back. Maybe 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 at the end was it? It wasn't nothing human. What was the one in the flesh? In the flesh. They did get pretty chummy with species 8472 towards the end before they departed, right?
0: Yeah, they all peace agreement and they're like, "Okay, so we're going to abandon this place, but we'll take you around and show you what we did before we go." Yeah. And they kind of uh, like they like chilled out for a while.
1: So unless the doctor got over there with his hollow camera and caught some of them not in their
0: disguises as they were about to hook up, like, this is a pretty... Because that's what you do when you've made new friends, you fuck in front of them.
1: <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how you can tell that Balana and Seven still aren't friends, because Balana has not consensually fucked in front of her. She's still done it loudly behind closed doors.
0: And that could be a 24th century thing. It is a freaky time in the galaxy.
1: Like, if you have your captain's and medical officer's permission, of
0: or you're just Will Riker, and you're just you're you're so potent mm-hmm. that you have special permission from the Federation president to override those regulations, which is what <sighs> my canon is: is that Will Riker basically had a, a permanent hall pass to fuck whatever aliens he wanted. Yeah, he's a double O. He's got permission to kill. Yeah, yeah, he just break the rules. <laughs>
1: um. The doctor starts giving her love lessons and we get dragged back to Sandrine's, which is Tom Paris's French brothel, opium den, whatever the fuck it was, pool hall. I For the last uh, time, by the way. Thank God, because four lines above my entry into Sandrine's in my notes, I put, I do not want to be watching this. And when they broke out Sandrine's, I, I just groaned to myself. How the fuck is this set still intact on the Voyager lot? We have not seen this place. And I can't even remember the last time they had it out here. Like it has been a long time and I would have bet money that they tore that set down a long time ago because they basically replaced it with the Talaxian Polynesian Resort, which we haven't seen in a while either. Uh, and boy, do they try to get their the last couple Drops of use out of this. Sandrine's probably makes up half the set to the point
0: where they're like even bringing the B storyline onto it. I know this isn't the same set because it it certainly felt and looked different. Um, so I would I would wager that they built something specifically for this episode. Probably didn't build as much, you know, because they only basically used it in two scenes. But it felt a little different and a little off from the way it appeared probably when they had it built for that entire season, which is like season – seasons, probably season one and season two. I agree to that. Uh, the
1: doctor tries fleshing out uh, Seven to make her seem a little bit more human and we come across the fact that she likes to sing. And then we get subjected to some super cringe. Like, I actually fast
0: forwarded through their singing. Cherry like, <laughs> Rain has a really nice voice, though. I don't I mean, care. Joe. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't uh, the rain in Spain, but that was the point, right? Like, they don't they don't have the rights to do like a big musical number, which was the problem when they were shooting the Herogen Nazi LARPing episodes, right? Like they had to find songs for seven of nine slash Jerry Ryan to sing that Paramount owned. <laughs> so like, that, that wasn't oh, bad. You know right. that it
1: wasn't a long song. It wasn't cringy. It was like, Oh cool. She's got some pipes on her. Not bad. And they moved on and this was like, all right, great. Bob Picardo can sing and, and Jerry can sing. And now they're going to sing for like what feels like half an hour. And And then I'm watching like first Kess and now seven. And we're really making the doctor out to be this lecherous old man hologram who goes after young women who view him as a a fatherly figure. Like this episode did not do the doctor any favors at
0: all. But he never really went after Kess. Dude, he was all about Kess, even to the point where.
1: There was Even never if,
0: any any direct implication of that. You can imply it, but that is never something they actually did an episode about.
1: Even when his program's falling apart and he's hallucinating in the first Barkley episode, Kess is his fucking wife. Like, I think it's safe to say that the doctor certainly had feelings for Kess. And and God forbid I evoke, you know, elogium. Like, he's the one there doing like all the mating ritual stuff, like massaging her feet so her tongue doesn't swell up and like all that other stuff. Doc had it in for for Cass. Maybe not as bad as we get led to believe he's got it for seven here. But uh, the doctor, if he's got his 30 giga quads of porn, it's probably like professor humping the student (laughs) stuff. He's less less babysitter stuff, more like inappropriate professor.
0: Speaking uh, so they they have the the classic bet after Tom wanders down into the hologram and uh, the holographic fuck den and is like, hey, where'd you put my pool table? <laughs> of course they didn't include in this set build. So that's why they had to have a line of dialogue about it. And uh, they make the bet of like, if you can actually get her a date that she doesn't terrify into uh, trying to space themselves, then I'll work double shifts and in. in uh, in uh, medbay for a month and she they make the bet she comes over and is like all right i have mastered all of the the small talk we can move on and uh, she elects to move on by selecting a crew member to go on a date with in another bit of fun dialogue is she has this exchange with harry kim who of course tried to shoot his shot and horrifically missed uh, a season ago uh, with seven of nine who uh, he is informed. He is not one of the candidates uh, for a potential mating, uh, but it is uh Lieutenant Chapman who is ultimately selected because he's a, a, uh, an efficient engineer and uh, apparently also a nice guy.
1: Chapman comes off as some sort of comedy bit from Mad TV. He's like all teeth and fumbling. That's the only real takeaway I've got about this guy. Um, sadly, it couldn't be Hogan because Hogan got eaten by a space worm. It's needed
0: to be Lieutenant Howdy Doody.
1: Uh Baxter. Yeah, man. That yeah,
0: why wasn't it Baxter?
1: We've never really seen that guy ever again. But uh, Yeah, ba-
0: ba- Baxter encountered everybody in uh, Twisted uh, on his way back from doing all those sweet lat pulls. And then <laughs> he just wandered off the ship and he was gone. He Sorry, I've uh,
1: completely exhausted the rip, cruise, rip Baxter uh, supply of uh, skull crushers. So I'm going to I'm going to dip. He was uh, one of the people that was slated as potentially staying behind on the 37's magical world of tomorrow that we never got to see. You know, Robert Duncan McNeil would go on files saying how delighted he was that this was a crew centric episode that we were really spending a lot of time with the main characters. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but listening to Delta Flyers, it's very interesting to hear him say the complete opposite of what we've been saying in that. Everything should be about the crew. There should be no secondary characters and that we should be giving them all the time and all that growth. Whereas I think you and I both agree that like some of the best moments we see on the show, like are involving other crew members, seeing what the rest of the life is for the lower decks um, and and hearing their stories. Maybe not necessarily Samantha Wildman, who <laughs> <I> <laughs> you cannot stand. Right. But yeah, you know what? I take that back. Maybe it's nice to see people like uh, Chapman and I forget who the other guy is and and how they're interacting with the rest. Watching Lower Decks has made me think about some things, Joe. And I've seen it before in the technical manuals that like the the junior grade officers basically sleep in hallways and like this very naval bunking system. Correct.
0: They show that in uh, some of the older movies, some of the original uh crew movies getting stranded in the
1: delta quadrant takes on a whole new meaning when you're like wow the rest of my life i'm going to be sleeping in a bunk bed I'm
0: trying to remember i I'm, I'm trying to remember if there was ever a um like book or technical manual or something that I, I feel like i know this for some reason right it's one of those factoids that like is in your head and you wonder yeah, how it technical got there. manuals for sure the the tng red book I feel like there was some piece of information like that for Voyager that I saw where there was an actual explanation either in the uh, series Bible or one of those alternative sources where all of – a lot of the uh, guest quarters and quarters of the deceased crew members were essentially used to provide additional living space to compensate for the fact that – like. Otherwise, you'd have people living in bunks, so it wasn't you had roommates, and you had people like two living in like an efficiency apartment type of situation, but it wasn't nearly as bad as like your your hot racked and you know this essentially a dorm room. Yeah, I would have been like, you know what, I'm staying on
1: this thirty sevens planet for sure. I, I cannot take sleeping in a bed that's already warm from the guy who was sleeping in it before me. I don't care what kind of space pajamas we're wearing. Um. We, you know, as this doctor seven romance starts to simmer in the doctor's brain, Tom Paris magically picks up on it, which I felt was a uh, pretty big jump to conclusion. The doctor had never actually, I feel, outwardly uh, broadcast any of these secret feelings he had been developing. So for
0: Tom to latch on to that, you know, Tom, Tom Paris is good at A few things. He's good at flying the ship. He's good at everything.
1: He's the Mary Sue. Hold on.
0: I was was getting to that. I was going to say he's good at flying the ship. He's good at being an undersea adventurer. He's good at at prison shanking. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, of all of his many talents that we've seen throughout the show, he is excellent at knowing when people want to (laughs) fuck. He is He's a sex empath, a sex. Yes, path. he is. He's a sex empath. And so all of a sudden, just like the RZA alarm goes off in his head and he knows, oh, someone wants to fuck him here. Oh, my God. And then he, he just kind of like looks at the doctor and he, oh, he, oh, it's you. You're the one who's got the fuck energy. two things I'm here to do. Fix combustion
1: based engines and knowing people want to fuck and I'm all out of carburetors. <laughs>
0: So, yes, they force that revelation onto the show so that they can have the hack dialogue where, you know, Paris says, go tell her how you feel, doctor. And, you know, he can fail to do that, of course. Um, There's a
1: date uh, with Chapman I wanted to touch on real quick. We have the triumphant return of ugly future clothes.
0: Yes. It's been not- a while. It's been a long we had time. Some, We've We've had some actual good looking future clothes. Um, so this was, this was a nice return to form. Uh, we find out that when you want to have a nice
1: date night that you don't necessarily have to do it in Neelix's mess hall while people are working next to you. You could just use the holodeck and have lobster brought out, which gets completely wasted. So I guess we're past any sort of giving a shit about replicated rations and, and all that fun. Uh, I also want to jump into another observation too. if we are to say that Voyager was a ship that was built for long term exploration, like the fact is not really a proper 10 forward really seems out of place for a ship like this, because if you'll recall what the mess hall originally was, was the
0: captain's private dining area. That's correct. That, yeah, that was like from episode like fucking two.
1: Yeah, that seems like a real big oversight to not really give the crew any sort of communal bar space eventually seven starts to break loose from wanting to date but then the doctor's like well hey we've got this reception for the b plot daniel tasha's big party you want to go with me as my date and seven's like yeah i would and it's going to be real keen and then i suppose we should talk about the b plot here because they converge in kind of the same place uh so you got the space amish version of daniel tosh which is daniel tosh in the face but like gene simmons hair i'm looking at a picture of him to
0: see i don't
1: you don't see daniel tosh all over this guy i just face. i just don't i'm sorry well it wouldn't be the first
0: time you're wrong but go ahead and look up a uh, gene simmons hair and, and- oh, oh shots fucking fired my god <laughs> I get the Gene Simmons hair that I'm seeing that I'm seeing, but I just don't see the Daniel Tosh part. I'm sorry. It's the jaw. It's the cheekbones. It's there.
1: The people in the trauma support group prove you wrong. Um, Pure slapstick here. And again, I I figured that the end reveal was going to be that it was a big test or whatever, but no, this guy is just a lush. Uh, There's a cool shout out to some spicy Bajoran
0: food that. Yeah. Asperat. Yeah. They, they start out with that. Which is a big thing in DS Nine, as you might imagine. Is it? Oh yeah, it gets mentioned a lot. It's it's uh, uh, Kira's favorite food.
1: Hmm. Um. So the guy wants to have all of the desserts and all of the luxury and drink all of the wine and booze and go on to the holodeck and fuck all of the holograms and all
0: of their hollow holes. Oh yeah, he finds every vice. And it is played in 100% for laughs. You know, he's at first he's gorging himself on food. Then, as you mentioned, like Neelix tries to find him for his reception. And he's half drunk, hanging out with literal sex toys that someone programmed. Uh, It's clear that he found them in the database.
1: (laughs) So volleyball players are very easy for me to get inside this talented young programmer, Harry Kim. Knows his way it's, around the
0: hollow holes. I would have been. I think it would have been uh, even spicier if he had found Bolana's like holographic sex toy. Remember, <laughs> remember that it was like some buff. The she killed all the, uh,
1: oh, I thought you were about the Cardassian murder cave. Like, no, no, like no. Him. The
0: uh, the episode where the Polynesian Fuck Resort is is introduced, and they have the the scene where she, she comes in with her bathing suit on. Right. Yeah. And she's like and everyone's like, oh, or I think it's Neelix is like, I'm sorry if you're offended by all of the eye candy. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then like her her buff sex toy comes walking out. And it's like, you know, some guy with uh, with abs on his abs and a fig leaf uh, for a bathing suit. And it's like, oh, OK equal opportunity here in the 24th century Everyone's got
1: I think I remember
0: (laughs) sounds right I don't know if it's correct but it feels correct you know I don't know Joe now I now that
1: now that (laughs) the idea has been to introduce that the Cardassian murder cave wasn't necessarily just a murder cave Blana might be a lot more kinky than I've given her credit for
0: dude you're the one who was doubting her being a screamer at the beginning of this episode so if you're coming around like I'm the book is open on balana being a sex freak as far as I'm concerned.
1: This whole thing, the most visible throwback I have to the Neelix running after a rogue diplomat. I mean, obviously, like I said, there was that Liaisons episode, but in big media, there was a Get Him to the Greek, which was... Oh, that movie's fucking great. <laughs> and that feels like that was a remake of something else, but it's it's a pretty classic. I think this whole episode is just... Brand Brother like, God, I really like uh she's all that and whatever the predecessor to get it to the Greek was. I'm just, what if we just make this episode that's just a bunch of TV and movies that I like and and we'll pass it off as Star Trek. You know other, what's his face got to do his David Lynch homage? Like why can't I do this? Oh wait, I'm executive producer. I can do it. We're gonna do it.
0: <laughs> We've done it. It's done now,
1: yeah. Hey make make dunky make 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 Robert dunks direct it he's he's desperate to 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 direct he'll he'll do it he'll do uh, anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What
0: was the first one he did that he got stuck with? Oh, the uh, yeah, don't, fall uh, don't like mouth. the hell mouth. Yeah, the one I would, which was another episode I liked and you fucking hated. Because, yeah, because it's uh, got spiritual bullshit. Yeah, in it's, it tickles your spirit balls. And, you know, I fucking am a sucker for that. I'm also a sucker for episodes of Star Trek that are direct ripoffs of, of beloved musicals, obviously. So we know what my weaknesses are. The very specific. <laughs> what was the second one? The second you episode remember? he directed unity. Yeah.
1: I like Unity, though. That was a good one. It was. And uh, his punishment for getting a good one was getting this one. (laughs) So this guy is a complete mess. Uh, He skips all his little prayer sessions. Neelix finds him in Sandrine's because they just can't let this goddamn thing go without uh, cramming it in as much as they possibly can first. they built that fucking set. They're going to use it. Damn it. Yeah, so he he goes down to Cheers and finds him with like some hollow hookers hanging off of him. And he's like, no, we got to go to your party. Have some coffee. Uh, And then he ends up in the mess hall at his reception. And there's what uh, Tom Paris telling him some jokes.
0: Real cringy shit. I'm super checked out. Seven to nine blows up. It was like dad humor level hologram jokes. Uh, But I just, I loved the guest star that they had playing this ambassador, the way that he just gets sauced. And uh, particularly when he starts hitting on seven of nine, he's just, he's just desperate to. I don't get how you're going to breach your shields all
1: over this guest star. And then you were like super cold to that. um,
0: Devor defector who Janeway had her romance with. Like I, I was cold to him because. That was supposed to be played for some sort of serious romantic foil, which I never bought. Like, I just never got to feel like that was a thing. I didn't didn't like his performance in that role. And this is just for this is just comedy. You know, it's not hard. Like, this is the kind of shit that you get somebody with a little bit of, you know, gusto and set them loose and be like, all right, be hammered. And they can do it. They can do it. Predictably, the lecherous uh,
1: ambassador tries to corner a jilted seven of nine who has just discovered somehow that there was a bet going on in the background as to whether or not she could date properly between Tom and the doctor. And uh, I was looking forward to her like ripping his arm off or or doing some real shit. But instead, she kind of like brushes him aside and then he has a hissy fit and passes out and we have this little moral conundrum that we get hit with that it's against the guy's religion to operate on him with unsanctified techniques. But then the doctor's like, Hey, remember when I completely ignored what everybody has ever said on the operating table and just done whatever I wanted anyways. <laughs> uh, and they heal him with, with nano, particle yeah, with board pixie, pixie dust yes As if the episode couldn't get any worse
0: i i liked the uh should we do this and they all kind of like look at each other and they look down they look at each other like yeah let's just do this so like i it was a cool comedy beat of like uh what's a responsible thing to do here fuck it let's just let's solve this problem with board pixie dust it was yeah. A, a rare moment of self-reflection ref- like on their own absurdity. You know? Well,
1: Balana begged you not to save her life when there was a parasite killing her because it was going to be with knowledge of someone who was a war criminal and you ignored that. So, yeah, let's do it. Everybody reassembles one last time back in the transporter room so we could receive Janeway back onto the ship and we get a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge from the head Amish guy like, yeah, what's it called, Rumspringer?
0: Yes, yes, the 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 space Amish goes on Rumspringer is definitely the way to explain what happens. Mm-hmm.
1: And then we see the doctor confronting Seven of Nine and telling him her true feelings. But wouldn't you know it, it was all a dream. Seven knocks on the door, they're really on the holodeck, which when's the last time you Ever, ever, ever saw someone ring the doorbell to the holodeck. This might have been a first for the entire Star Trek property. She comes in with a seven
0: of nine who usually bursts into places and then shoots it up. So, you know, her (laughs) her actually having that kind of, uh, you know, courtesy is uh, definitely unique. Absolutely. She's like, hey, here's a tricorder that's
1: 33% better than all the other tricorders, which... I'm curious now if that technology gets disseminated through the rest of the ship or if the doctor just hogs it. And she's like, Hey, thanks. And he's like, Oh gosh, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be friends. And she's like, yeah, there's nobody on the ship that I'm interested in because that crackhead is back on earth doing space heroin with jail pipes in her future. That piece of garbage Raffi I'm going to fall in love with in Picard. (laughs) That's where this character is going, right in the trash can. So you don't want to be around me, Doc.
0: Anyway, so that's the episode. Peter hated it, and I am incapable of hating it because I have special weaknesses for what this episode is doing. So bottom line, if you're a normal person, it's terrible. But if if you're an enlightened person, a better person, a person who enjoys musical theater, you'll love it.
1: Uh, or if you like She's All That, the 1999.
0: 1999- yes, if, if you if you also enjoyed watching She's All That, which is, you know, My Fair Lady, except in 1999.
1: Uh, on the other hand, if you hate Sandrine's or watching Seven of Nine go through baby steps to accomplish normal human tasks or watch people pretend to be drunk or anything else, this episode is littered with do yourself a favor and skip something to watch over me, which I think is very clearly the low point of season five for me. And maybe even the back half of Voyager, like I'm going to have to really sit down and do my homework and see what in recent memory could possibly be this big of a waste of time.
0: God, you're so harsh. You're so harsh on the classics, man.
1: I don't think I am, Joe, but uh, moving on, we're getting into season five, episode 23 or 22. If you're going by Netflix, 1159, and we see Neelix walking down the hallway with Janeway. A little walk and talk. The Voyager crew members swap stories of their family histories. Yuck. Janeway is most proud of her ancestor, Sharon O'Donnell, a celebrated astronaut.
0: This episode is completely fucking bizarre to me. I'm very interested in re-watching it because it's been so long since I've seen it. But when I remember watching this for the first time and being just baffled by its existence. Like what what the fuck did I, what the fuck is this? This isn't an episode of Star Trek Voyager, that's for sure. This that's what I thought, and I this is one I have avoided rewatching just because I'm like, no, I'm not watching eleven fifty nine. That one's fucking just bizarre. Um, Here's my problem, Joe. You know yeah. who
1: is a Voyager crew member that has a family history? Chakotay. <laughs> and I just got beat over the face, neck, and chest area by Chakotay's family history in. The fight. I am not looking forward to this at all. And I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm so happy to see that Janeway has a a proud woman of distinguishment in the field of aeronautics. Shannon O'Donnell reminds me that she is the biggest fan of uh Amelia Earhart. Yeah, who she has had never who she men- abandoned
0: in the Delta Quadrant.
1: <laughs> who she had never mentioned prior and never mentioned again. The same way that uh, Tom. The uh, the the big underwater fanatic has never once mentioned a single other thing about his love of the aquatic. I'm not looking forward to this, Joe, and it's sad because this this episode tonight was such
0: a fucking drag. I'm sorry. Season five is leaving you uh, with some some stinkers, but I don't actually I don't want to I don't want to. I don't want to make you think this is episode is bad before we watch it because i i just i need to watch it again it's
1: go. No. voyager crew members swap stories of their family histories
0: chakotay it's
1: impossible that we're not going to go into the bullshit flute
0: listen she doesn't have superpowers she's she's a a, a white woman from indiana but but Chakota <laughs> is going to be there. Listen, I know you tracked down the
1: bullshit Indian flute, and
0: and I hope you still have it ready because <laughs> it's going to be the backstory is the the backstory is a problem flute no matter what.
1: <laughs> the eleven fifty nine, or as it will become to known, uh, keep your bullshit backstory
0: to yourself, part two, part two. All right, man. All right, thanks for listening to Vija Please, hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. We'll see you next time.